Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word in the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Welcome to episode two of our uh, season three of uh, the HPG Bible Talks podcast. We have begun talking about one of the great sermons of Jesus. This is one of the speeches that he gave, often called the Sermon on the Mount, because he delivers it from a mountain. We're in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, three whole chapters that are devoted to this uh, great delivery of this great oration that Jesus gives. It's really amazing um, that he's talking about the kingdom of God in this whole sermon and begins in a kind of surprising way, talking about the kind of character that he's looking for in those who would be citizens of his kingdom. Yeah, so last week we talked about those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are gentle. All three of those kind of having that theme of humility that Jesus is looking for uh, and characteristics for those who are going to be citizens in his kingdom. And uh, that, I think, really leads well into the next expectations that Jesus has for his followers. And so uh, we'll go ahead and read the three verses we're going to cover today. And the next three characteristics, I want to pick up in Matthew 5, in verse um, 6. Jesus says there, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Stephen, we'll start with that first one there in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Mm-hmm. In this kingdom, there is a food that we're going to get to partake in, but it's not some type of physical food, is it? It's something else that Jesus has in mind for his people and his kingdom. Yeah, again, so many of these, of the we call these the Beatitudes, again, that comes from that Latin word for blessed. These are the people who are favored or who find blessing from God. And so many of them are just surprising. Blessed are the poor. But then he says the poor in spirit. Like this is a spiritual characteristic, not just those who have nothing. And here, same thing for uh, those who hunger and thirst. These are not just blessed are the those with empty bellies, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, and really the same thing with mourning that we talked about in the last episode. Not just happy are the sad, but why are they sad uh, over uh, it's not a worldly sorrow, but a godly sorrow. And so here with the hunger and thirsting for righteousness, this is such an important characteristic of what is it that we're longing for? I mean, I think all of us, we could say, have some kind of hunger for something that uh, that we desire, that we want more of it. And here he's saying, if you're going to really be a citizen of the kingdom, it has to be righteousness. It has to be God's things that you are most preoccupied with, that you're most worried about getting, that just like your stomach wants food and you're never like, you know what? I think I've gotten all the food that I'm going to need. I'm I'm, I'm good now. (laughs) Um, That there's always this hunger that we need for spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And it's not a hunger that we feel physically, which is what makes it challenging. It's a hunger that we have to cultivate. For spiritual things. Yeah, and this, this spiritual want or desire can be fed in a number of ways. 
But what I really like about what Jesus says here is that it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to be satisfied or they're, they're going to be filled. Stephen, there's a lot of things out there that we can try and fill ourselves with that will not ultimately satisfy us or fill us up. Mm-hmm. You know, the reverse side of this passage could read like this. Uh, not blessed are those who hunger and thirst for unrighteous things, for they will be dissatisfied. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of things out there, specifically, of course, we're talking about sin, that we might seek after to try and fill us up in some type of spiritual way, but we're never going to be filled. It's like mm-hmm. grasping at straws. We're, we're just left this empty, empty bottomless or, pit. Or you might say it's like striving after the wind. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> the book of, book of Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 2, is that whole picture of if, if I hunger, if I'm trying to fill that hunger with money, with pride, with accomplishment, with fame, anything, at the end of the day, vanity of vanities. Like I'm still just as empty as I was when I started. Yes, um, and so we we got to look to God to be the one that fills us up. He gives us that that heavy stomach after our meal of participating in His Word and in prayer. And so we have to make that a priority. We have to seek Him and seek His righteousness. Is the idea that is what will ultimately satisfy us? Mm-hmm. But I think we spend too much time trying to find everything that's that's not the Lord, um, and spend too much time in sinful things. Yeah, and that that is really true. That like. I remember growing up that my, you know, at times my parents would say, well, like, no, you can't have dessert first. Um, I don't know if my parents ever said this, but I don't know if you ever heard people say, like, oh, you'll, you'll spoil your appetite. Yeah. <laughs> was like the thing that uh, sometimes would be said. And that's what Satan's trying to do with us, with our hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's trying to spoil our appetite. Is like he wants to fill us up with things that can't satisfy, things that are not going to fill us up. But... We think they fill us up, so we're not hungering for God's things. And it's like Satan's just offering us a bunch of junk food, and we get so full up on... And sometimes it's not even things that are like just completely wrong and sinful, but even just distracting things that just take up our time, take up our emotional energy, take up our schedule, to where we just don't have that same hunger for God's things. And that can really start to starve us spiritually before we realize it. And so we've got to, again, cultivate that hunger for God's things. And as we think about this, I think about a couple of examples um, from the last season we did on the book of Acts. Because it's cool, the book of Acts gives us so many portraits of some of the yeah. people with these characteristics. because yeah, these are people who are now in this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, and they're living out these characteristics that Jesus said that they need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so one that impresses me um, that I know Stephen mentioned is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Uh, he's a super good example of someone who hunger and thirsts for righteousness. Yeah. I mean, the Spirit takes Philip out into the middle of nowhere in Acts 8. Uh, here's this chariot, you know. And... This Ethiopian, again, he's from Africa, um, has traveled all the way to Jerusalem. I, I forget it was like I think it was like over two thousand miles yeah, that he went, something like, like that. It was a, it was a haul for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he is going home from worshiping, and there he is in his chariot reading Isaiah. I mean, here's a guy who's hungry for God's things, and. Just beautiful opportunity for Philip yeah. to, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And, yeah. and I don't know, you know, just 
how much money he would have sunk into a trip like this and how much money it would have cost to get a piece of, of the scroll of Isaiah, if not an entire scroll of Isaiah. But he is giving everything he can to try and learn more about this stuff. And um, like Stephen said, Philip gets there uh, because the Spirit tells him to go join the chariot. And so Philip goes and it's like, well, do, do you understand what you're reading? Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect invitation, right? The Ethiopian eunuch says, this is in Acts 8.31, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of scripture he was reading from was up from Isaiah 53. It said he was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. He does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate to his generation from his life, or for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. Just about everything that's out of the Ethiopian eunuch's mouth in this story, it's in the form of a question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you see that anticipation that he has, or not anticipation, but that want to learn more and to to figure out what he needs to do in his life. It's that hungering and thirsting that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And that's, I think, one of the, the ways that we grow in our hunger. Maybe you're listening, and you're like, I, you know, I just have a hard time with Bible reading. I have a hard time with prayer. It's like, why is this such a struggle? But one of the things as you get into Bible reading, like the eunuch is doing here, is write down your questions. Write down, you know, this is confusing. Why, why does it say this? What's, what's the point of this? And that can fuel hunger and make you want more. Um, that is the nature of God's words. The more we get of it, the more it makes us want more. It raises questions. And sometimes even the questions that we brought to the text aren't the questions we have when we come away from it. Uh, it answers some of our questions, but gives us other questions. And it brings us back to wanting to know, what does God want me to do? Uh, what does God want me to learn? And uh, if we have a heart like this Ethiopian, uh, we'll, again, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Mm-hmm. The Spirit provides an evangelist in the middle of yeah. nowhere to be like, hey, let me answer your questions. Uh, he is he is satisfied yes. by the end of this. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, of course, Philip takes him into the water, baptizes him. And in verse 39, when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away. You know, The eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Mm-hmm. I think another word you could use there is he went away satisfied. He got what he wanted out of this. And um, that's such a cool thing, but it all started with him hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, See, I think another cool example, just out of the book of Acts at least, is over in Acts chapter 10. This is the story of Cornelius, the first Gentile that we read about being converted to being a Christian. And one of the first things it tells us about Cornelius in Acts 10 is uh, he was a centurion of the Italian cohort, and he was a devout man one who feared God with his whole household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So from the get-go, we learned that he is a diligent um, person in his dedication to God, even though he's not a Jew, he is a Gentile. Um, and at about the ninth hour of the day, an angel comes to him and, and uh, comes and says, Cornelius, he fixes his gaze on him, he's very alarmed, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And, of course, the angel tells him to dispatch some men and go get Peter. And Cornelius does that. But this all started with a hungering and a thirsting 
for righteousness and wanting yep. to know more about God. And here's two guys. I mean, this Ethiopian in chapter eight, uh, Cornelius, uh, you know, soldier in chapter ten, who may not have otherwise. You might not have looked at these people and said, "Oh, like there's a guy looking." Um, but the Lord is able to know hearts, and He sees the hearts that are hungering and thirsting, and is able to connect them with answers. With you know, Philip goes to to the Ethiopian. Uh, Peter uh, goes to Cornelius. It's, both of them are sent and said, "Like, hey, here's someone who's searching." Um, kind of the same thing with Ananias with uh, Saul in chapter nine. He's like, "Oh, he's praying." Yeah. You know, here's someone who is not currently previous, not cur- not previously hungering and thirsting. That is totally turned around. But over and over in this section of Acts, God provides uh, for those who are seeking. Uh, Jesus will say later in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things, you know, will be added to you." And um, in chapter seven, he'll say, seek and you will find, you know, knock, the door will be open. And that's such a beautiful promise in scripture is that if we are hungering for God, if we are seeking him with our whole heart, we will find him. We will find answers. God will provide for us what we need, but we have to have that hunger. Yeah. And I think sometimes that hunger is tested, you know, just yeah. how hungry are we? Uh, if, are we not going to let ourselves get distracted? We're not going to let ourselves get led to something else. We're not going to try to fill that hunger with something else. We've got to keep pressing toward the Lord. So this is just one of my favorite Beatitudes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, just right before we move away from um, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I do want to point out just kind of how the flow has been going through the Beatitudes so far. I think it's really cool. You start with blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about that idea of needing to be popped, right? We, we need to be humbled, um, but we also, in the process of that, we need to be sorrowful or mournful over that sin that we realize that we committed. And as a result, we need to be gentle as we seek to enter the land. Well, when you take all three of those things into consideration, it's no surprise that the next one is you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be filling ourselves with God things after we've depleted ourselves of sin. we got to fill ourselves back up with God. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there is a flow there that's super cool. Um, but the next few, the rest of the Beatitudes, are going to have a direct impact on how we treat or receive treatment from other people. And so the first thing it kind of talked about is, is ourselves and, and what God is expecting of ourselves. But as a result of these changes, it'll make an impact on how we treat other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that leads well into the next one. Yeah. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And like you mentioned, this is a specifically horizontal, one another relationship beatitude. It's not just, you have to have someone else around you to show mercy. Right. <laughs> um, and Jesus is not just concerned with us becoming, you know, like a monk somewhere, you know, off a spiritual hermit where we're really holy and. We got our connection with God and it didn't really matter how you treat other people. No, like God is very concerned with how we interact with other people. And this is one of the, the primary things God asks us to do is to show mercy to other people. And he connects that with the mercy that we receive from God. Which again, if uh, we're poor in spirit and mourning and these other things we've talked about, you know, David and others who cried out to God for mercy, you know, please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Well, 
we're going to hurt each other too. And, and, and we now need to, because we have received mercy from God, be very ready to give mercy and forgiveness to those who ask us. There was a friend of mine once who was going through these Beatitudes with me. And he said, Chase, who would you have left in your life if everyone you've ever interacted with never showed you mercy or forgave you? And I just kind of sat there for a moment and I I said, nobody. I would have absolutely nobody. Because whether it's on a small scale or large scale, we we each have to show a certain amount of mercy and patience to everyone. And uh, just even starting from the very beginning of your life with your parents, I mean... You know, I've, I've got a one-year-old and she sometimes does things to me. And now she, she's a one-year-old. She doesn't really realize what she's doing all the time. And I've got to show mercy to her. I mean, if I just up and decided, oh, you know what? I'm done with you today. You know, that I'm no longer going to show mercy to you. She would have no one left in her life. And that is true of all of us. And uh, I just thought that was a helpful thing to realize is, is just how much mercy others show to us every single day and throughout mm-hmm. our entire lives should motivate us and our want to be merciful to others. But all the more, the mercy that God shows us should motivate us to want to have mercy on other people. Because right, mercy is not easy no. uh, when people really well, hurt us. And we, we live in a merciless atmosphere. This, mm-hmm. this society in this country is just merciless. Um, you know, there, there's no forgiveness. There's no second chances. It's, it's the cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. We, we have got to be prepared to, to cut through that. And if we want to be in the kingdom of Jesus, be people who show mercy. That's right. Well, one of the things that Jesus, one of the parables that Jesus will tell later in the book of Matthew, I think really well illustrates this principle of how showing mercy and receiving mercy go together. In Matthew 18, um, this is actually another one of Jesus' sermons in the, the book of Matthew. And uh, Jesus will tell a story about a couple of different servants and a king. I'm going to read from Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, then Peter came up and said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whew, a little, little heavy of a parable there that Jesus gives. Yeah. Um, it all starts with Peter begging the question, you know, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Just how far does this mercy thing go? You and know? Uh, a friend of ours, he, he's always funny every time he kind of goes through this one, but maybe Peter had been wronged seven times by Bartholomew that day or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But something has happened in Peter's life to, to make him ask this question. Well, well, how much? Is it up to seven times? Sure, yeah. Surely that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Peter is probably thinking he's being generous. Right. He's like, man, like, I'll forgive him seven times. Right. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. Up to 77 times, or some translation, 70 times seven. Right. And the point is not the, well, 490 times, you know. Right. 489, you're down to your last one, you know. No, it, the point here is there is essentially an, an infinite amount of forgiveness because we realize how much God has forgiven us. Right. That's what motivates it. And so he tells this parable and the first servant somehow has racked up a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, again, we don't usually use talents to talk about money, but one talent, my understanding historically is, was 20 years wages. So if you, you work 20 years, you get one talent. Maybe, so, maybe it's just his student loans is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it feels, it feels that way. Um, but uh, 10,000 talents? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 200,000 years of labor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you rack up so, that kind of debt. So I don't know if Jesus is trying to be specific. Like, or it, like this is something that's actually happened, but it, it's... It's hyperbole almost, or it, it, this is a, yeah, it's like, this is great, impossible. it's an impossible amount of money. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get like, at. There's here. no way. Yeah. Which, and of course, he even pleads and says, just give me time. Yeah. How much time are you going to give him? You can't pay this debt off. This is impossible. Have have patience with me is what he asks, and I will repay you everything. No, no, you can't, but it's just that yeah. have patience with me is what really stands out to me. And the, and the, and the master realizes this. The king realizes this. And, and he has compassion on him and says, you know what? It's forgiven. It's just gone. Can you imagine owing that kind of money to someone and they just say, you know what? Forget it. You're good. I don't want you to pay any more back. You're done. And, and the tremendous amount of gratitude, the tremendous relief that that should produce in someone, and yet that servant goes out and his fellow servant owes him a hundred denarii. Yeah. Now a denarius was a day's wage. Yeah, so this is like three and a, a half months. A third of a year. Over, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's it, four months. It's doable though. <laughs> yeah, that's payable. I mean like give me some time, I'll pay you back. And he won't. He won't let him. Um he just will not show mercy to him. And I also I think it's very interesting, um, in verse twenty nine, when his fellow slave falls to the ground he says the same exact thing mm -hmm. that the guy had said previously. Ought to ring a bell. Yeah. Have patience with me and I will repay you. Yeah. And again, that was a more reasonable thing than, than what the other guy had. Exactly. And the fellow servants are just distraught. They're like, all right, king, did you see what happened with, yeah. you, with this? And of course, the king then unforgives the first servant because he would not forward 
the mercy that he had been shown. And Jesus brings it home in verse 35. He says, this is what God will do to you. Mercy is not an optional quality for the citizen of God's kingdom. And when you look at this impossible amount of debt that this guy has, you know, stacked up over the years, what we're really supposed to look at is how that is comparable to sin. That's right. It's an impossible debt to repay. There's nothing you can do to repay that debt in and of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point here. And so when the king, Jesus, or God, forgives us of that sin, it should move us to be more compassionate when others have sinned against us. But that guy hadn't put that together, and he pays for it. Mm -hmm. And so we, we need to, if it's hard for us to show mercy, if it's hard for me to show mercy to someone who's hurt me, I need to think a lot more about how much God has forgiven me. And if I'm not impressed and overwhelmed with that, I need to keep coming back to Scripture. I need to keep coming back to the cross. That's where we truly see how much our sin cost. It's the blood of God's only Son that was needed to pay for my sin. And the more we let that generate gratitude in us, it will also generate mercy in us when other people hurt us. No matter how badly they hurt me, whatever they did, it is nothing compared to what I have done to God. And that's, again, that's the source of mercy. And again, this just says this is a condition. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you want, when, you, when we all stand before God one day at the end of our life or when the Lord comes back, if we want to have mercy on that day, we have to be people who are showing mercy now. Yeah, absolutely. And so may, may we all just strive to look at the cross more and be impressed by it to motivate us to be more merciful people. Well, as we we move into the last one we'll talk about today, in verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, I don't really know, outside of Bible words and, you know, outside of religious talk, I don't know if pure or purity is something that we talk about a lot. Um, I think if we were to use the word pure outside of biblical context, we would be thinking of maybe more scientifically speaking, right? Uh, maybe something being 100% pure and not having anything else in it. I'm sure we've thought a lot about things being uncontaminated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> things yes. that are totally sanitized, you know, without germs, without any kind of impurity or foreign contaminant coming in. And, and which, what a precious thing that is. It's, it's hard to keep things clean. It's hard to keep things pure because there's constantly, in our world, there's constantly impure things that defile and mess up things that are immaculate. Yeah, and I mean, it's a cool concept to think about, but when you have something that's 100% clean, it can just take something that's 1% unclean to <laughs> contaminate the rest of it. Right. And um, Jesus here is calling us to have 100% purity in our hearts. It's not just an outward thing, but it's inside as well is what he's looking for. And that's just so much harder because so many times, uh, you know, our our world is looking for um, outward change, uh, behavior management. Okay, well, I checked the box. I outwardly did the thing. But Jesus is not just concerned with behavior modification. He is concerned with heart transformation. He is wanting not just right actions, but right motives. And really, this whole first chapter that we're going to talk about in Matthew 5 is going to illustrate 
what it means to be pure in heart. Don't, don't just not kill your brother. Don't hate him in your heart. Don't just not commit adultery. Don't lust after someone in your heart. Because when you do that, you're already committed adultery in your heart. You need to be pure in heart. And of course, this is so much more difficult. This is such a much higher calling than just a, well, make sure you check the, the law boxes. Um, it's no, like, I need to examine my motives. Why am I doing this? Uh, and Jesus will talk about that even with outwardly good things. Don't just pray and give and fast, but make sure you're doing those things not just to be seen by people. Do it when you're nobody's around. You know right. That's really a measure of how pure our hearts are, is who we are when no one's looking. Yeah. A little bit later in the book of Matthew, Jesus will describe the Pharisees as being like a cup. The outside of it looks really clean and really good, but on the inside, it's gross and, you know, it's got all these maggots in it. It's just really disgusting inside. And Jesus is saying, we need to clean the inside of the cup first. That's what the priority needs to be. And that's really the idea of being pure in heart. But also really like the, the natural consequence of somebody that's pure in heart. Jesus tells us they will see God once they are pure in heart. What that really reminds me of is actually a psalm of David. Um, in Psalm 24, in verse 1, David writes there, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Well, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Well, David starts off the psalm just admiring God for how great he is and the earth that he's made, the world and everyone who dwells in it. He's founded the seas. And then he says, who can approach a God like this? Who can ascend to the, the hill of the Lord who is the creator of all? Who can stand in his holy place? David says, I know who. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And he's not just talking about sexual purity. I think we often, that at least for some people, that's where our mind goes whenever we think of being pure in heart. That's certainly part of it. But he elaborates. Who is not, uh, he who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and those who have not sworn deceitfully. It goes much deeper and further than just sexual purity. It's much more broad than that. But do you see the reward? Those who are these qualities, they get to go to the hill of the Lord. They get to be with Yahweh, God, forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a, that's a cool psalm to look at for that. Yeah, it really is. And when you think about that, if you can imagine like going to the place where God's presence is and what that would be like to stand before God who knows all things and who sees everything in our heart and when you see people in the Old Testament who had encounters with God and, and drew close to him, I think about like Isaiah in chapter 6, where he sees God and his first reaction is like, oh no, you know, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. You know, how can I stand in his presence? That when we stand before God, one of the first things on our mind is our own impurity and the impurity even in our hearts you know god doesn't just see outward things he sees the heart and and what a blessing that 
God offers us a way to be pure in his presence. And it's cool that the rest of that vision in Isaiah 2, you know, the coal is taken from the altar and it touches his lips and he's made pure. And that's it's looking forward to Jesus and the sacrifice that Jesus is going to make to purify us. And that's a beautiful thought that despite all of the impure and ugly and contaminated things that I've done, through Jesus' sacrifice, I can be made pure. And then I have to choose to keep purifying my heart. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, there's the cleansing that God gives, but then I need to choose to walk in purity and to think about my motives, to think about what am I thinking about? What am I, what are the motives for my actions? And to continually be examining myself to have that pure heart because I want to see God one day. I want to stand in his presence. Um, and be pure like he is pure. Right. So so practically speaking, what, what do we need to get out of our hearts? What do we need to get out of our lives in order to be able to see God more and be pure in heart? I, I like what James says in James 1, 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Mm -hmm. get, get the stuff out. Get the garbage out. Be pure in your motives and in your heart so that you can see God. Yeah. And there's one other passage that just jumps out to me with this connection is 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, where John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure and this is such a beautiful hope that i mean i i daily recognize how far how far short i fall of the pure heart that god wants me to have but we're in this process of purification and the more that we look at the lord in scripture the more we see okay like here's how i need to be here's the character of jesus here's what he wants me to do and in this life, I'm never fully going to get there, but I'm, I'm trying to purify myself as much as I can because I want to see him. But the beautiful thing about this passage is that if we are purifying ourselves as he is pure, when we see him as he is, we will be made like him. That the Lord will finish the work that he started in us and we will be able to stand fully pure in his presence at the end. that That's just such a, a, a wonderful hope to have uh, that I may, I'm not going to attain it in this life, but God who began a good work in me will bring that to completion at the day of Jesus and we will have fully pure hearts. And that's a, it's a wonderful thought. Yes, it is. Yeah, we are made in his image. His image is pure. His image is holy. And so the more we strive to be that, the more we see God even in our own self and even in our own lives, uh, of course, to his glory. Mm -hmm. So um, super cool, big picture stuff that is seen all throughout scripture. God's call for his people to be pure in heart and be holy people set apart for him. And again, in the sections that come, we'll, we'll keep coming back to this idea yeah. of purity in heart, like all the way down purity and yeah. how that's played out in these coming uh, statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll wrap up the Beatitudes and we'll look at blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the persecuted. We'll spend some time talking about those two characteristics for kingdom citizens. 
Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review or subscribe so you can get future episodes. Um, if you'd like to talk with us uh, more about questions that you're having, if you're hungering and thirsting, uh, we can continue to point you to God's Word uh, where we can find answers and satisfying uh, things for our souls. Uh, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or see us on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.